Welcome to the WP Builds Podcast, bringing you the latest news from the WordPress community. Now, welcome your hosts, David Wormsley and Nathan Wrigley. Hello and welcome to episode 74 of the WP Builds Podcast, entitled Let's Try to Understand the GPL License, Shall We? with Jonathan Bossinger. It was published on Thursday the 3rd of May 2018. My name's Nathan Wrigley from pictureandword.co.uk, a small web development agency based in the north of England, and I'll be joined in a few minutes for our discussion by David Wormsley from davidwormsley.com. I don't know how much of these episodes you actually listen to, but each week David and I have an interview and before the interview we have a discussion, usually lasts about 20 minutes and this week it's going to be entitled, How do we handle late content? And in that we discuss what our processes are or are not for getting content out of clients if it's late. At the end of the interview this week with Jonathan Bossinger, we have a very short ending fact section, usually just a couple of minutes. And on this occasion, it's entitled 401 Errors, which you probably know all about anyway. Okay, before we begin, let's tell you about the normal stuff. If you go over to wpbuilds.com and listen to the episode, we'd really appreciate it if you click the buttons underneath and share it iTunes reviews are always very favourable. Five stars is even better. Thank you very much. Go to wpbuilds.com forward slash Facebook if you'd like to join our growing Facebook group. Over a thousand members there now. Forward slash subscribe to join our newsletter. Forward slash advertise if you're that rare person who wants to advertise on the podcast. Forward slash YouTube if you want to listen to these things on YouTube. And I've been pushing it for a couple of weeks and we've got about 40 people in there now, I think. Forward slash Slack if you use Slack as your major way of getting uh, communications done online. We're in there now and it, it, it's sort of growing, I suppose. If you want to come and join us, that'd be lovely. Okay, if you go to forward slash win, so that's wpbuilds.com forward slash win for a little while longer, just a couple of days, there is the Smart Slider Pro uh, 3, well, I should say Smart Slider 3 Pro uh, competition and there is a, several licenses up. I think it finishes on the 8th or something like that. You can go and check that out for yourself. Also, uh, to help some of the people out, we've got 20% off for the first three months of that uh, slider plugin if you use the offer code WPBUILDS, all capital letters, no spaces. And equally, if you use that same exact coupon code, you can get MainWP for managing your multiple WordPress installations. Gets you 25% off. 25% he said. <laughs> Percent off if you use that code. And I know that quite a few of you have made use of it and that's great. Okay, so to today's episode. Way back, I think September 2017 on episode 42, David and I did an episode called Build It Out of Love, The Morality of the GPL License. And you know what? It transpires that David and I don't know an awful lot about the GPL License. And Jonathan Bossinger from South Africa got in touch to say, I think we should do this one again um, because 
basically, you know, you, I know a little bit more than you do. And he's very polite about it and it was lovely. So I got him on and we talk about GPL, the GNU privacy license and the fact that this is everything, you know, this is the entire system around WordPress, around which WordPress is built. I didn't know all sorts of it, actually. And we go into the history of it, how it came about and how it applies to WordPress. And really interesting for me because I, I learned a lot along the way. So please stick around for that. Um, okay, but for now, we will begin by going over to David and I to have our little discussion. I hope that you enjoy this week's podcast. And today's discussion is how do we handle late content? There's an irony there, isn't there, Nathan? We're recording this for the second time because <laughs> it just failed. So we might be late getting this out. <laughs> yeah, we um, we do this on Skype. It's a bit of an aside. I know you shouldn't be uh, forced to listen to this nonsense, but there we go. We do this on Skype and sometimes it's really good and your setup works and my setup works and then occasionally it's just drops out and so we often splice it together but on this particular occasion it was so bad we just decided nah start again <laughs> anyway so we know how we handle it we go and bitch don't we on our podcast yes. about late content and yes. that's what we're going to do yes so clients sure, they're always wrong yeah aren't they <laughs> <laughs> and everybody in the groups that i'm in agrees with me on that Yes, because they're all WordPress people and clients are all wrong and they never submit anything on time. Actually, to be fair, is this is this truly a big problem for you? Do you have a genuine um, problem with people habitually turning up late and giving you the wrong stuff and so on and so forth? I, uh, a couple of occasions, it's been a real pain. We have had some projects go on for, well, we had one went 18 months. So that was a long time. That, that was is supposed to be a, yeah. So it has been a bit of a problem, particularly when they keep popping up every so often, and we kind of think we're restarting it and it doesn't happen. So yeah, it's it's been enough for us to change how we do stuff. Mm. Um, yeah. I I think for me it's I think it's a state of mind thing as well. Um, because it's me, I don't have to worry about a team. I don't have to worry about um, the deadline per se because I'm usually juggling a few things at the same time. Um, so I have a fairly laissez-faire approach to it, um, and that's always worked out. I've never yet got to the point where content have, has never, you know, never ever arrived, and I've had to say, "Look, this is pointless. We're not working well together. Let's stop." But um, I do quite frequently have to send reminder emails. But again, that's fairly trivial for me because I've got all those um, as canned responses in Gmail. So I just click a button more or less and send it. And and usually the, the clients that I have are people that I've I've met in the real world or certainly I've spoken to face-to-face on Skype. Um, so I know them, if you like, and, and I don't feel too bad about sending that email. And I'm not trying to support multiple mouths. So, mm. um, you know, it's, it, it, it's not really that big of a deal to me. Maybe we should um, just sort of start with what, what, our pro, what, what processes we've been through um, mm. or, or rather, maybe best to say with what we're doing at the moment. Mm. Can we just start? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so I think I'm quite happy with what we've done recently. I mean, it's it's got to run for much longer time to know, but because I've now started charging people up front for days and we'll estimate how long it might take, there's usually a week before we all start a project, before anybody can book our time. And in that time, we'll allow them to get content 
to us mm. but if they don't they still paid for our day and we'll do the best with what they've given us and you know when we've had nothing we still do some work we'll do what we can we'll just design something out of nothing and then they'll just have to fill in the Lauren ipsum because we'll do them a video saying look here's all the gaps we've done you a design because you wasn't here and we'll do that but also a key thing which has really i think changed things or it's given people an incentive is that we also um, insist that if they're coming with us on the care plan which most people do and we've kept it reasonably priced we give them one month free hosting so they're mm. not charged for that and most people when they start with us believe they're going to get that finished before that month is up mm. so they think they're getting something for free but if they do disappear at least we get something in for looking after their site during that time but it's also an incentive for them to get on with it because they'll just be paying for nothing yeah i, th I think your system in so many ways is brilliant um, and this is another example of it because there's that fixed moment in time where this is the day you've booked with us. Um, and obviously that day is a bit pointless if they haven't got anything ready. I mean, I presume there's things that you can do, like you say, Lorem mm. and whatnot, but it's not ideal. It's not a great outcome for them. So mm. hopefully they've got this fixed moment in the calendar and, you know, they'll be scurrying around a week before that, trying to trying to write everything and get all the images in place and so on. Um, my, my system's far more iterative I'm, I'm i am yet to come up with the perfect system um i've got three or four things which i've tried you know um dropbox google drive folders shared folders um where i've filled up those folders with subfolders relating to pages and and then you know even put text documents in there saying okay write this text here and write this text there it's a bit cumbersome but in some cases that hand holding has worked quite well I've used um, a system that I have. It's a self-hosted system called Pancake, which has worked quite well in that you can upload files and have threaded conversations. So mm. each item, in effect, you create a task. So that task would be, um, you could call it homepage. And then it, under that, you could upload files and, and what have you. And that's worked quite well. Um, I've used mm. Content Snare before, which is a, a SaaS app from James Rose. He was on the podcast mm. right near the beginning, actually, um, in which you can be very specific. And it's specifically designed for people want to, wanting to get contents for, for web page builds. And so you can have tabs which are, in effect, pages. And you can tell the client, this is where your hero image goes. And you can specify the mm. dimensions and so on and so forth. And that's worked. That worked well as well. And um, and then at the minute, I've, I'm trying out Plutio, which um, is another SaaS app. And so mm. essentially, I don't have a perfect answer. I'm, I'm constant. I'm just one of those people. I'm constantly trying to do things um, to, to streamline it. And um, and I don't have the perfect answer. But for me, not so important. And like I said, if I write an email that's fairly jocular and make mm. make fun of myself and sort of say oh god i seem to have missed the deadline or maybe you sent me the email and i didn't read it or something but could you send it again so always in the end has worked i mean at the moment i've got a project which is really really overrunning but they've mm. paid in advance 100 percent, so i don't mind so much um yeah you know uh, it's it swings and roundabouts but i suppose the, the sort of title though is you know what? What do we do when it is late? Maybe the title should be more "How do we actually get it?" Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah when I'm when I'm late, I simply start writing emails. Um, I don't have anything automated. Which you know, if you haven't filled in this form field by this date, 
uh, you're going to get a, a snotty email or an email reminding you of it. Got nothing like that. I just mm. um, I just flip from project to project. And because I'm busy, whether or not I'm working on your project, there's always somebody else's thing going on. I just kind of ignore mm. it. And then at the end of the day, think, oh, no, I didn't get anything from them today, did I? And, and then send them an email. I do, and do you know what? I think that is actually the nicest because we were saying about this earlier about we are in a service industry, whether we like it or not. Mm. And we do. It is our relationship with our clients that's important. So we know that there are going to be a certain amount of people who are going to be late with stuff because we know that from our experience. So maybe we, we should try and roll with it a bit more than always trying to control it. So I kind of like what you do. Mm, yeah, it just fits my lifestyle and the way I've got my business set up because it's me. You know, if I was part of a uh, development team, it, my system would be an absolute catastrophe because you've got people waiting, sitting around waiting, presumably, you know, working on one thing at a time, six weeks on this project. Then when that's done, we'll go on to the next project. Well, obviously, if the content is two weeks late in a six week cycle, you've got people twiddling their thumbs. So a little bit more important, I suppose. Um, and then we did have a conversation earlier about, um, yeah, possible sort of ways of encouraging people to supply content do you want to talk through that because you came up with a really nifty idea i think yeah i probably stole it from somewhere i've seen it but yeah we could instead of adding contracts where we penalize people for late delivery of content where you do it the other way around and offer a discount for getting content in on time how would you work that how would that actually work its way out would you specify a moment in time um, and if everything was submitted and signed off at that point, we would then sort of say, um, okay, you'll get £200 off or whatever it might be. Yeah, I guess you would have to say that the top price would be there, wouldn't you? And you would have to be refunding people towards the end or on their next payment, you took it off. So let's yeah. say you took your, your your first charge to start the project. You know, if they delivered in time within that, then you would reduce the, the next amount that they needed to pay because they were a good client and got their uh, discount. I wonder what sort of figure. It's, I, mm. I just For a start, I think it's a really interesting idea. I, I wonder what kind of figure would be significant enough for people to, to take notice of that. You know, uh, £100, eh, £200, mm. eh, maybe. It depends on the size of the client. As an example, that this this client that i've got at the minute they're um well I, I won't say too much about them but they uh they're a fairly big company um in mm. this area they're not they're not a big company um nationally or internationally or anything like that but um i just don't think the money would 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 matter to them because it's just you know it's there's mm. so much money sloshing around in this company anyway however if it was a, a small little website that I was building, £100 might save me an awful lot of emailing and days tracking things down. Um, and and so to them, £100, £200 might be really significant. It might be everything that they need to get themselves in gear. Yeah. But in a way, I mean, with this, you would effectively be adding on your charge. So the discount they were getting wasn't really a discount. It was just what um, <clears throat> what you'd be charging otherwise. So yeah. it's a, a different way of a, a penalty to save your hassle. The, the problem, I suppose, with that solution <clears throat> then is that your initial quote, which is reflecting the higher price so that at some point you can discount in the future, uh, is then slightly less competitive than the the one that you would mm. choose to submit. So yeah, it's got swings and roundabouts, yeah. hasn't it? 
Um, yeah. Unless, of course, you literally can swallow giving them a discount. Um, you know, at the end, you just decide, yeah, everything was in on time. We will literally knock money off the price and, and we'll swallow that. That might mm. win you some friends. You never know. No, I don't think it would work for me, to be honest, because I don't like the idea of discounting things. Mm. But I am pre- I am precious about my time because, as you know, I travel around a lot and I'm not available. So, you know, if something doesn't go to the plan that we had, it, you know, it makes it difficult for me to go and work on a project. So mm. I'm not so flexible as mm. you mm. from that. Yeah, I, d- I do. You mentioned your products you use i use the free version of asana and it's only been used on maybe five projects so far but it works really well because from the client's perspective they're just really handling emails but i can really start any kind of topic i like and i can put a deadline on it so it does give them some reminders as well and we can just have an email chat but at least it's organized you know and flexible okay, okay. so you you set up in effect like a task and if if you haven't succeeded in completing mm-hmm. that task it will send them uh, a little reminder nudging them as well automatically will it yeah so mm. you know if i ask them for their photos for the home page and i put it as an assigned task for a date it's going to remind them on my behalf that they needed to get it in now we're we're dealing with shorter time frames but mm. at least it's doing something and it's not snotty. It's just part of the process, you know? So do you have to, with Asana, do you have to write that email on a per task basis or can you put a template to that so that if the task isn't done by this date, a templated email will go out? No, it's just going to remind, it's just reminding them that they were assigned it. So when they were Ah. assigned, so I create a a new list item, I can give it a date and and I can assign it to them. So they're just going to get an email saying that this top this thing that was assigned to you mm. is due on this date, mm. and that's all. Okay, it's quite nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I guess it would be quite interesting to hear from from people who don't operate in the way that you and I work. In your case, like a moment in time where everything's going to be done on a day or two days, and in my case, a fairly laid back approach to to getting the stuff off people. It'd be, be quite interesting to hear from anybody in our community who works for uh, an agency or with a, with a few more people, because there's obviously going to be pressure there that I simply don't understand. And my, um, my approach might just seem like wishful thinking. It'd be quite nice if anybody does get, does get sort of beaten over the head by their boss because the stuff hasn't come in um, to hear what your approach is. I like the idea of discounting. I don't really like the idea of getting all snotty, but I presume at some point, you, you've got to do that, um, but I like to keep it lighthearted, but I've never really yeah. had a problem with it anyway. So so there we go. Yeah, it's more one-to-one relationships with us, isn't it? If you're an yeah. agency dealing with a big company, yep. um, they're used to dealing with the contracts. And yeah, yeah the, I, I the, can see. The other thing is, I suppose, is the, the context that you talked about earlier, the context of understanding what to submit. Like as, as an example, mm. if somebody came to me um, and you know, asked me to submit, uh, I don't know, let's say I decided I was going to write an article for a newspaper and just sort of said, can you write the article? I wouldn't even know what that meant. So Mm. asking clients for copy and Mm. photos, uh, it's hard because they don't know upon which part of the page it's going to go and where, what dimension, you know. So for example, a hero image, I want a hero image. What does that mean? Well, obviously, you've got to encourage them to pick a picture which is like letterbox in shape. So it can't be, 
taken in you know, um, portrait orientation and have no width. Things like this matter. And, you know, this piece of content probably should be less than 200 words. This bit probably more like two or 300 words. This bit 12 words and so on and so forth. Getting all of that context in can be quite hard. Um, and, and I just generally do that on a case-by-case basis with the actual client. I literally talk them through what I need for each section and insist yeah. that they make notes as I'm talking um, because I don't really have mm. a, a fallback document because that's just too much faff to keep referring to and changing as things change. But the context mm. is is everything. And I've had uh, that has, you know, come back to bite me a few times. Yeah, I agree. I think that's behind a lot of it. And, you know, we can't have it both ways as well, because in our groups, we do talk about the fact that the, the content that clients give us is not very good. And we don't want to put their stuff on our portfolio because mm. it's not good. Mm. They don't have those skills there and they won't pay for a copywriter. I have Have you experimented and I have done this bit by kind of starting the project, making a template and saying, OK, this is what I know about you. This should go here. This is your headline, something along these lines. This little section needs to say this and it needs to be a few paragraphs, this section. So I put some sort of dummy images, some dummy copy to give them a framework in which to then write their content or rather rewrite my content for them. Yeah, what, what I have done in the past and I actually have had I've got this on a page somewhere on my site, which is not linked to by any navigation. So I, I honestly can't tell you where it is, but, um, and it's just a, it, it, it enumerates, if you like, this is a header. And what I did was I used a Mac app called Skitch and I took a, I took a screenshot of my website and then I drew a big pink box around the, the hero image and put an arrow and said mm. hero image. And I said, you know, things like notice it's wider than it is tall and so on. And then uh, then below that, it would be here's the headline and this make it under 12 words or whatever. Um, and so, yes, I've done that. Try to do it visually. But do you know what? I reckon that would be best done in a video. Um, yes. And very often when I run into this kind of problem, I use a, I use um, an app which is embedded into my Chrome browser called Loom. Um, yes. And you click a button and it enables you to pick a section of the page and it will start taking a screencast of it. And then as soon as you click stop record, it uploads it to the cloud, pastes a URL, copies a URL into your clipboard and you can just send them that video. And I found that that, that, that workflow for me works really well. Um, explaining the context of things. No, 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 no. That image needs to go here. Can can you find one that's wider? But then that led to another conversation, which we still haven't done. What, which mm. was, um, you know, are there are there paid services here that you could um, mm. use for getting, say, copywriting done or getting image images sourced? Um, mm. You know, that might be something that you could bolt onto your initial offering, so that the client, in the end didn't really have to do anything you could get could hand all of that over to you i'm i'm yet to find the client that would would be willing to do that for me mostly they want a little bit of control over it so yeah yeah i i mean something we mentioned before and i have a lot of sympathy i used to laugh with everybody else at clients when they would say i don't know what it is i want but i'll know it when i see it <laughs> but i've really <clears throat> i've really come to realize that is me when yeah. i have a blank page and i've got to design something yeah. literally i just move stuff around and try different images until something kind of fits right yes. and yes so, so i think we do need to sort of baby step a lot of clients into it we need to give them examples something that 
is already started so they can rail against if you like i know it's slightly annoying but at least it gets something moving doesn't it yeah it's a good idea yeah it'd be interesting to um to share that process one day you know to on a video just to show us how you uh how you actually go about producing a homepage and how long it takes uh, and I, but I'm just like you, you know, with the tools that I use, like Beaver Builder and things. Just just try things, move things around, yeah. and then keep sending um, keep sending updated links, and the client eventually says yes, <laughs> and you hope that's it. Not very um, not very technical either of us, are we? Uh, there's there's people no. who do this job better, but we are we are what we are um, with all but- of our faults. Yeah, and I like it, you know, because it's been flexible. It is service industry, so we're being flexible to the type of client. And I think that's why we'll never get a system for this, because I think, you know, with some before the day starts, I may have knocked something up because I'll have no clue and put some stuff in and then do an explainer video, exactly like you're saying, because that's going to help this project. I think those explainer videos, what I should probably do, though, is is have a battery of them and just stick them all on (laughs) one page on my website and say, go here if you're confused about anything um but i'm much more cottage industry than than a lot of people i think I so it's uh it's fine it works for me right there we go shall we, we call that one a day yeah okay right we'll go to the interview in that case hello and welcome to the interview part of the wp builds podcast today we have all the way from south africa and more specifically cape town in south africa we have jonathan bossinger um hello there jonathan Hi there, Nathan. How are you? I'm very good. Now, Jonathan and I, as is always the case, we always have this mysterious idea that we've just started speaking. In fact, we've been we've been nattering for about half an hour, and I think this is going to be quite a good one. The reason that Jonathan's on, um, A, I should say that we, we use something that he is heavily involved in on our podcast, because uh, we use a product called CastOS, or CastOS, I don't know what's the correct way to say it, um, which Cast-O-S. is Cast, Cast, Castos, just all as one word, yeah? All as one word. Oh, I was thinking it was like iOS or Mac OS. Oh, there you go. Um, so Castos. Um, and it's the mechanism we use for socking up the audio file to Amazon and thereby getting it to you guys on, on your podcast players or on the website. And he's he's one of the um, the, the, the senior developers, shall we say, um, on that plugin. So maybe we'll get talking about that. But primarily he's here because after um, episode 42, which seems like a long time ago, we David and I did an episode called Build It Out of Love, The Morality of GPL Licenses. And uh, Jonathan got in touch, um, to, p- very politely, I might add, to uh, to basically say, can I come on your podcast? Because what, um, what you guys said is a load of tripe. <laughs> he didn't actually say that, but that's the, the long and the short of it. Because David and I, as you know, we, we have a habit of talking about things from the point of view of ignorance. Um, and Jonathan's come on to talk to us about GPL. And it feels like this is a really good moment to do it. There's an awful lot of debate going on about uh, commercial plugins and so on. So, right, after my long diatribe, properly, hello, Jonathan. I'm glad that you've come on the podcast today. And you're going to talk to us about GPL. Is that right? Yes, that is, that is right. I just want to start by saying uh, um, if you're going to make such amazing jokes like that, please don't because I need to squirt water through my nose. <laughs> <laughs> I love using the word tripe. <laughs> it's such a great word. <laughs> yeah. The um the the thing about GPL is 
Um, I, I mean, I'm guessing that most of the people that listen to this understand generally what it is. It's the general public, the GNU general public license. Um, and I think a lot of the people in this community, people who use WordPress, have a very, very vague understanding of it. Now, because I knew that we were going to get into the specifics of this, I went off and found several articles. And the one which I dwelled on most was um, the Wikipedia article. If you just Wikipedia, um, sorry, Google GPL license, Wikipedia comes up pretty much near the top. Um, and I read it and I confess, even with my best, most clever head on with full concentration, I got lost really quickly because it's complex. There's lots of meta language. Uh, it refers to things which you must previously understand and so on. So I'm hoping that you can unpick what it means. First of all, do you just want to tell us um, what the heck is GPL? And you, you were able a minute ago to tell me very, very nicely its history. So should we start there? I think that's a, I think that's a great place to start. Yeah. So. Um, I think the important thing to do is as as WordPress users and builders and developers and people who spend a lot of time in WordPress, we tend to focus a lot on the GPL because it comes up quite a bit. And we tend to focus on it in the sense of WordPress and how it affects WordPress and what does it mean for my plugin or my theme or my client side yep. without really having an understanding, as you mentioned, of the history of the GPL. So. For those who don't know, the GPL, and I'm going to be, be um, minimizing and, and sort of trying to make this as quick as possible, but the GPL exists because a chap back in, I think it was the, the, the early 70s, uh, by the name of Richard Stallman, he was a, a software developer. Um, he had a printer that he was having some trouble with. Uh, the driver wasn't working with, I think, the operating system that he was trying to use at the time. So all he really wanted to do was to take a look at the driver software, take a look at the code. Um, figure out what the problem was. I think he might have even figured out what the problem was and then distribute that fix to anybody else who might have the same problem. And he discovered that the license of that piece of driver code did not give him the freedoms to do that. He was not allowed to look at the code. He was not allowed to study it. He was not allowed to fix it and release that fix for others to use. And he just was the kind of person who did not like that way of thinking. Um, and he decided that a better licensing option needs to be available for folks like him. So it was very much a scratching your own itch type of scenario mm. as, as, as WordPress was um, and as a lot of plugins that exist were. But instead of creating a product, he created this license, in which, we, which we now today call the GPL. And the important thing to remember, regardless of all the the preamble and the the legal speak and 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 the key terms you know if you try and read the G i've tried to read the gpl it's fairly impossible for me to do so because yeah. i'm not a lawyer yeah but the things that we need to remember the four freedoms so freedom zero is the freedom to run the program as you wish for any purpose freedom one the freedom to study how the program works to change it so that it does what you want it to do and to access the source code freedom two is the freedom to redistribute copies so that you can help others and freedom three is to re is is the freedom to distribute copies of your modified version to others. And those are the four key things that that are sort of the backbone, if you will, the cornerstone, if you will, of 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 the GPL. Um, when when it comes to WordPress, and we did briefly discuss this beforehand, mm. um, because it, so in my opinion, at least, um, because WordPress is one of the first open source GPL licensed products, which has spun a, um, let's call it premium or paid for or business focused industry around it. It is, this is the first time that the GPL is being discussed as much as it has been. 
you, you discussed the example of the Drupal environment where everything is just free. There are no premium plugins or themes. So the concept of whether something is GPL compliant or not or follows the spirit of the GPL or not doesn't really come up. No. But because WordPress be has become so popular and because people have seen the opportunity to to earn a living from WordPress products, this is the first time that this whole concept of the GPL has come up. And I think the important thing that, that we need to focus on, I'm very much a fan of, of studying something and then sharing that knowledge, is that the English language, the word free, is actually the wrong word to use when we discuss a GPL licensed product. So when you and I hear the word free, we think money. We think, I don't have to pay for this. That's exactly it. Um, yeah, you're right. And that's the problem because that's not what freedom means. And that's why you'll always come across these these GPL folks whenever they talk about the GPL, they talk about freedom, free as in freedom, not free as in beer. Yes. <laughs> and what they're talking about is they're saying, we don't mean free as in you don't have to pay for it. We mean free as once you receive this piece of software, you have certain fundamental freedoms that are allowed to you because of the GPL. Do you know that just just that one little point sums up so much so much about the whole thing, doesn't it? Because the the conversations are usually based around free as in beer. Um, yes. You know, do I have to pay for this thing and so on? Let, yes. Let's let's carry on talking about GPL. I mean, I don't sure. I don't know exactly what your um your your knowledge of the history of it is, but from my understanding is that since its inception by Richard Stallman, and I think he's still involved, or at least he was in the the most up to date mm. version. It's gone through a few. It's been tried and tested a few times, and I think we're on version three now. But although I think WordPress might be using version two or yes. do you know why it's had to adapt have there been cases where it's been tested and obviously we're not talking about wordpress here gpl has got mm. nothing to do with wordpress it's you know it was a printer driver thing to begin with and and often it's it's wrapped up with things like um, linux distributions and things like that yes. so wordpress is a bit of an edge case but nevertheless uh, how have we got to ha needing to have various versions of, of gpl so if you if you look at the history of the GPL, and again, this is my having read as much as possible. I'm, I'm by no means an expert of the history, but no, there's loads that, of information yeah, out there. Yeah, yeah. But so the GPL was developed by, by Stallman as this way of licensing software. And he obviously chose to then license all of his software using the GPL. So the reason that we have um, open source products like Debian and like Ubuntu and like Linux are because he invented this license and he then released certain things around this license. The problem then came in where you have, and I'm, I'm going to mention an example which my my friends um, that know me well in the WordPress space know that I have a slight aversion to this company. And this is part of the reason why I have an aversion to this company. But certain companies started taking um, GPL license code, including it in their software, which they're allowed to do because of the freedoms given to them making distributions to that code, which they're allowed to do because of the freedoms, freedoms given to them, and then distributing those, um, those changes to the code in their own code, but not allowing the people who receive those distributed versions to do the same. So at that point, they're effectively violating um, the, the user's GPL freedoms, if you understand what I'm saying. So yes. by distributing that code, they should be passing on, the GPL should be passing on the same freedoms to the people using that code. Um, and the very first example of this was a company called Next, N-E-X-T. Now oh, you was might this Steve Jobs? Steve Jobs. <laughs> yeah, with his little black box, yeah. 
this started Steve Jobs' aversion to the GPL because there was a situation where, so there was, a, there was an, an organization developed around the GPL called the Free Software Foundation, um, another, another volunteer open source based um, organization. And the idea behind the Free Software Foundation is to um, investigate and, and um, sort of expose companies who are violating the GPL. Um, there are people who have legal experience, there are people who have development experience, who have various levels of experience, and they all contribute to this Free Software Foundation, and they provide guidance to companies who are concerned about GPL compliance and all that kind of thing. And the very, I, interestingly, the very first violation was, um, I, th I, think, I think it would be pronounced Next, but it's a N-E and then uppercase X-T, yes. which at the time was Steve Jobs' company. They took the, 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 it's like a new compiler, the GCC compiler, they made changes to it, they distributed those changes in whatever software they were releasing and didn't retain the GPL freedoms. And there was actually a, uh, what the Free Software Foundation likes to refer as sort of social, I don't think they use the word shaming, but social, social pressure, that's the word they use. So the Free Software Foundation is an open source institution. So they don't, they're, they're a nonprofit, they don't have large amounts of, you know, funding, be it organizational or, or government or otherwise. So they would rather not um, approach a violation using a lawyer, you know, sending a, um, a letter of cease and desist and all those kind of legal proceedings. Because as, as you and I both know, generally, and I'm not saying always, but generally when there is a, when there is a lawsuit, the person with the most expensive lawyer is usually the guy who wins. The yeah. girl who wins. Yeah. And because the Free Software Foundation is this open source volunteer project, there is a good chance that if they do attack a big company with lots of money, you have, you know, teams and teams and teams of lawyers, there is a good chance that they will lose. And the problem with that is now there is a legal precedent mm. for a company to to violate the GPL, win a court case, and then for future companies to attempt to do the same thing. So, has so the what GP the sorry, sorry, no, you, you carry on. Yep. So what the Free Software Foundation tries to do is they try to socially say to these companies, you are violating the GPL. Please stop doing it. <laughs> mm. um, so as to, to your knowledge, has anybody from um, the Free Software Foundation, have they ever tried um, to pursue a lawsuit, whether it was against a large company or a small company, or has it always been on this basis of social, what did you call it? Social shaming or social peer pressure, social guess. peer pressure. Yeah. yeah. Is that so always the, the way best, it's gone? To the best of my knowledge, right. there has been no, and, and that's always the argument. You know, the GPL has never been tested in a court of law. Yes. Yes. Because there has, because the free software foundation chooses to not go that route, because at the end of the day, what also happens when you, when you follow legal proceedings, people's, people's feelings end up getting hurt. Companies yeah. end up fighting with each other. Yeah. The Free Software Foundation and, and the GPL exist because we, well not we, they, they don't want to create strife. They just want everybody to learn and share the code and yeah. be open about what they're doing. So, so following a legal process is almost, and, and this is just my opinion, but it's almost in a way against the whole concept of the GPL. Um, we, you know, you don't want to be creating strife in the industry and and, and forcing people to to prove why they should or shouldn't be doing it. The bottom line is if you take some GPL code, you know you should be following, you know, any, as far as I'm concerned, anybody who is a software developer, I'm not talking about users, I'm not talking about people who take a piece of software and install it and use it on their operating system or on their server, but somebody who's writing the code, who's going to, who's going to um, modify the code, 
they have read the license. They understand the license. And when they choose to violate it, they know better. Um, so it really boils down to, are you the kind of developer who will be ethical about it and go, okay, fine, yes, you are right, sorry, we made a mistake and fix it. Or are you going to you know, carry on fighting? And then the problem is those kind of people who will carry on fighting are the kind of people who have the money to employ the lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, broadly speaking, it kind of feels to me as if GPL is, um, it's like a, a license which you must therefore pass on with anything that you do. So if you, if you use something that's GPL, you must therefore um, use it for the things that you build. Um, and further to that, I think you've got to include a copy of the license within whatever you distribute or certainly make it available. Um, plus, am I right in saying that you have to make the, the code uh, open and freely available as well, or or is there some peculiarity or um, inconsistency in that, as far as you know? Okay, so the important thing that that I think a lot of people miss when it comes to the GPL is that it only applies when you distribute your changes. So let's give you an example. Let's say I download WordPress tomorrow, and I start digging in the WordPress code, and I learn how it works and I figure out how to make some changes, and all of these things are available to me because of the GPL license and because of the four freedoms. And I build a website for myself with some modifications to the WordPress code, be it in a plugin or a theme or whatever the case may be. And that website goes up on my server that I that I either have some, some shared hosting with a server company or I've built my own VPS or whatever the case may be. Because I am not distributing that code, I don't have to apply the GPL freedoms to my modifications. However, should I choose to take that piece of code that I that I updated or changed or whatever the case may be, bundle it in a theme or a plugin or some kind of distributable package that I upload to a public repository or to a, a, a market where I will sell it, then the GPL applies. Um, so. It's only when you distribute your code to others that you then need to carry those freedoms on to anybody who grabs hold of uh, that code. Okay. So that's number one. Yeah, that's a good definition. So does distribution, from the way you you sounded at the beginning, it sounded like distribution was when you were making it widely available. Would distribution yes. also be if I was giving it, let's say I built something for one client um, and I uploaded it to their server, would that also be distribution? Um, in, because it's not widely available it's just a one-on-one -on -one relationship if you know what i mean exactly and the answer to that would be no okay so your client is paying for their modification that they're going to use on their server that doesn't fall under distribution and therefore you don't have to apply the gpl Fascinating. that having been said mm. should that client decide to take that code and distribute it as a plugin then it would Yes. It, it kind of falls around the word fairness, all of this, doesn't it? It seems like something which is, you know, we're, we're trying to just be fair and equitable. Yes. Um, okay, so should we should we dig into, because we've stayed away from WordPress, apart from sort of anecdotally, I think sure. what a lot of our audience would be really interested in is the specifics related to WordPress and its theme architecture and its plugin architecture and how that works. So, do you, as far as you know, um, is there a particular moment in time or a thing that you might do or a hook that you might use or whatever it may be where suddenly you jump from I'm not needing to worry about GPL to actually this now falls under the auspices of GPL. So we, we know now about the if you're a one on one distribution, if you're giving it to one other person, they're not sharing it in any way. We know that's fine. But OK, at what point does a developer need to think start thinking about this? Great. So if what I am doing, if my piece of code relies on 
a GPL piece of code to function. So in other words, whether it be a modification to the original piece of code that I'm adding some, some piece of code to it, or whether I'm building my own distributable product. And, and again, the key word there is distributable. And we'll talk about, you know, if I build a SaaS later on maybe. But if I'm going to build some piece of distributable code, a plugin, a theme, or whatever that I'm sending out in the world that people can download, and I rely on a GPL piece of code like WordPress for my code to function, then my code needs to fall under the GPL. Now, what's interesting is there was this concept uh, some time ago where people were saying, but hang on, surely it only applies to the PHP code because WordPress is predominantly PHP. And if I'm going to do some piece of functionality that's built on top of WordPress, I'm going to hook into WordPress actions or filters or hooks or whatever the case may be. And therefore only the PHP code applies, but I can still license my CSS code and my HTML code, for example, um, as what they what the term was sort of the non the split license so i have some stuff which is, falls under the gpl and some stuff that i can license on my own mm. again it boils down to that does my code require wordpress to work so i'll give you a simple example if i write some css and it is going to apply some styling to a wordpress specific thing then in my opinion at least it requires wordpress to work i can't license that css as non-gpl the same goes for HTML. If I'm building a theme, then I'm going to have sections of HTML that work with sections of PHP. Now, here's the interesting thing is I can have a theme template that has PHP in it that doesn't necessarily use any WordPress hooks or the loop or anything else. But the template file, when it gets loaded, uh -huh. is going to call a WordPress function to load that file. Okay. So it relies on WordPress to work. I can't take that template file as is and stick it on a server and it will work. In my opinion, that template file has to be licensed under the GPL. So as far as I'm concerned, the only thing that you can have this so-called split license, which I'll talk about it in a second. I also don't agree with it, but anyway, we can get into that. Hmm. Is if it's some form of CSS related to a static HTML page, right? And some JavaScript related to that same static HTML page, and I happen to bundle those three things in my WordPress plugin or theme, but I could take them out as they are and stick them on a server, and they would work. Those files I could theoretically, if I wanted to not licensed under the GPL, but anything that relies on WordPress, any JavaScript, CSS, HTML, images, not so much, but those fall under their own, you know, images on codes. And that's the important part. I, I actually made a note of this. Hmm. GPL equals code, not images. Okay. <laughs> not branding. Right. Um, so branding and images, it's out of the picture. To me, GPL is about the code that I write. Yes. And that includes yeah. PHP, JavaScript, HTML, and CMS, if, CSS, uh, what I call the big four. <laughs> so um, if, if you were ridiculously careful, um, you could potentially you could, you could create a CSS file that didn't reference in any way, shape, or form any class or ID, for example, uh, that WordPress provides. But yeah, it, it just sort of seems pointless in a way, doesn't it? If you, you're going to do that, you might as well just do a static site. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm thinking. So with enormous care, and um, yes. you could do that, but what's the you point? Could. But so, okay, so... It sounds like just about everything which touches WordPress falls under um, GPL um, because you, essentially if you're going to build stuff that doesn't touch any of the WordPress stuff, why use WordPress? Like you say, build, exactly. a, build a static site. Okay, so 
that then means that anything that you build, any plugin that you distribute, also falls under GPL, which means that you know it's got to be freely available and so on and so forth. How then? How then do we manage the commercial side of plugins, where they're you know trying to, um, whilst not hiding the code from us, they're trying to sell us the code uh, in such a way that you know there's a recurring subscription or what have you. Now it seems to me that over the years a model has developed where quite cleverly. The code is not really what you're buying. You're actually buying um, support um, and possibly updates, although I, I don't know if that still falls under GPL because we're back to the code again. Uh, how, how, does, how does that work? Okay, so this is something that I'm, that I'm quite uh, keen to talk about, so I, I'm probably going to go on and on, so please no, don't give please me No, please do, fun, because but... honestly, this is the one thing that everybody yes. wants to know because we're all we're all you know in the end we'd like to spend as little money as possible and get the most value out of out of our small investment um, and so you know there's these GPL clubs which have decided to go down this very controversial route of giving any commercial plugin away for free under the auspices well it's GPL so this this is a good good moment so go for it go for it okay so i'm going to make some statements that are that are entirely my own um, but I believe in these statements and I, and I welcome anybody to, to challenge me on them if they, if they want to. I personally believe that these uh, GPL clubs, these plugin clubs, these theme clubs, they are not doing anything wrong. Um, and this is spoken as a plugin developer. So I have a few, I, I started, uh, when I started in WordPress, I, I, I got involved in the Divi theme and, and the communities around that. Um, and I saw that there was a need for some some plugins for Divi, so I wrote some plugins that I sell on a marketplace. And all my plugins are released um, as as GPL compliant. They are open, they are freely available on GitHub. So if you want to bypass the the paid version and go and, and go and download them off GitHub, you're more than welcome to. And anybody who grabs hold of that code and decides to sell it on to their clients at any cost that they, that they wish to, that's their, that's their decision. And I have no problem with that. As far as I'm concerned, there is no moral or ethical issue with somebody doing that because the four freedoms allow them to do that. Now, how do I then, as a person who wants to earn a living, living <laughs> how do I... Um, balance that understanding with well you know if i make this thing that i my baby that i've spent time on that i that i that i want to be able to continue to do and continue to earn money from how do i put it out there now what's interesting is that if you look at if you look at wordpress wordpress is celebrating its 15th year as a piece of software this year mm -hmm. but software as a concept has been around since the 70s even before that licensing around software has been around for just as long. And I remember before I got into the web, before I got into PHP, I was a, a Windows application developer and the company that I was working for sold a yearly license. This is not a new idea. This is mm. not a new concept. It just feels like it's new because for the very early days of the web, everything was just free and open. Mm. But before the web came along, um, companies who wrote software for operating systems, for you know Windows, Mac, Linux, whatever the case may be, they had to monetize it in some way. And the general way of doing it was to have a yearly license. And the yearly license gave you some form of either regular updates or support or not. Sometimes it was support, sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes you had to pay for support. Sometimes there were maintenance retainers and maintenance contracts and that kind of thing. But the concept of a yearly license is not a new one. Now, this is my opinion, but in my opinion, the reason that this this sort of um, 
purchasing a, a plugin or a theme license equals updates and support is because when WordPress first came about, this concept of it being free and being open source, and specifically the word free, um, free meant I didn't have to pay for it. So the majority of mm -hmm. people make this assumption that yeah. because WordPress is free, in other words, I don't have to pay for it, everything else around it should also be free and I shouldn't have to pay for it. But the freedoms that we're talking about in the GPL are not about the money. Mm. The GPL, if you read it, the GPL actually allows for you to distribute your GPL plugin and get paid for it. There's nothing in the GPL that says you can't be commercial. In fact, if you read the GPL on their, on their website, the line says free software does not mean non-commercial. Yeah, I saw that. That actually yes. made me pause. I, I thought, but did I read that? <laughs> because everybody, and it's because of the English language being this, let's be honest, yes. um, um, you know, um, many different languages forming the English language. But the English language has become the almost de facto language of, of WordPress because it was developed in, in the US. So people got this idea, this is my opinion, but people got this idea that everything should be free. So now you're a plugin developer, you start writing a plugin, you put the plugin out there, you start getting some support requests. You realize that you're spending more time fixing bugs or fixing people's problems with your plugin than adding features to your plugin. And you go, hang on, I can't make money like this. So now you go, but I can't charge for this plugin. I can't just say to somebody, pay me for this code. Because according to them, according to the user, it should be free. So what do I do? I come up with a way of selling a license that I'm selling you support and updates, not the plugin code. Mm. And that, in my opinion, is where the early plugin developers made the mistake. Because as far as I'm concerned, and this is another statement that I'm going to make that I'm wel I welcome anybody to argue with me with. As far as I'm concerned, I can sell my plugin to you that I spent time on for a fixed amount without offering you support and updates. Mm. I don't have to offer you support and updates because why? I wrote that code. I came up with the solution to a problem. You now have the solution to the problem, which if you'd have, if you'd have contracted me to do it, would have cost you maybe 20 times as more, 10 times, five times, whatever, because I would have charged you my hourly rate. Now I'm giving it to you at a much reduced rate because I'm working on um, volume. I want to sell it to many, many people. So I'm going to offer it at a much reduced rate. But that doesn't mean I have to give you support. That doesn't mean I have to give you updates. You're paying for the time that I've invested in the plugin. Because this is how software used to be sold. Yep, yep. <laughs> and that's where the, the almost, and I don't want to blame the initial plugin and theme developers, but that's almost where they made a mistake. Instead of saying, no, 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 you're paying me so that I can continue to do this. They decided to go this, I'm going to sell you support and updates route because it, it, it makes the user feel better about buying a free plugin, if you understand what I'm saying. Yes, I do, yeah. Um, the other thing that I want to make, a statement that I want to make is, and this is spoken as a developer, developers are not marketers, the majority of them. Yeah. We, we get into code because we like writing code, we like solving problems, but we're not good at marketing our products. We're not good at getting new customers. We're not good at building up that kind of marketing base. So we don't think about how can I get more people involved? How can I build this thing up and turn it into a big thing? So inevitably what happens again is we built this product. And this this happened to me. And this is, a, this is like a real story. This happened to me. I built a product which had some popularity in the marketplace. And I put it out there. And the first month that I put it out there, I earned a, a good chunk of money. But then I didn't do any kind of marketing. So the following month, I got 
a little bit of a less income because I wasn't marketing it to new people coming into the group. So there was no eyes on this new product. People weren't seeing it. They weren't going, oh, this is nice. I want to buy it. And the next month and the next month, the same thing and the same thing happens. And eventually my, my income from that product whittled down to such a point that I was spending so much more time on support for that plugin right and not getting paid for it that i started resenting the plugin (laughs) (laughs) and i believe that's what happened to these original plugin and theme developers is they went how do i fix this how do i earn money from this without hating the the product and they go well if i if i sell this what 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 am i struggling with right now people are wanting support and updates how do i monetize support and updates and I believe that's why it evolved. I might be wrong, but I believe that's why it evolved the way it did. It kind of sounds like it was a, a, a well, it, it seems that it was a misunderstanding of the word free again. Yes. Um, so free as in beer, uh, as opposed to free as in freedom. And, and, freedom. and I'll be perfectly honest, until I started really looking into this um, for the initial one in, in number 40, you know, a year or so ago, and then more specifically the other day reading this, that was still my understanding. I really didn't, mm. I did not disconnect freedom from money, uh, yes. as in free and, and free. It, and it's because, it's because the English language uses the word yes. free to yes. mean two different things. Yes, indeed. If you, and and, and what, what I know Matt Mullenweg likes to do is he likes to use the term Libra which means yes, um, free, sort of French. freedoms, yeah, you know, freedoms available. Yeah. So, so when we talk about free software, we mean software that gives the users those four freedoms to do whatever they want. It doesn't specifically mean you can't charge for it. I wonder why then we haven't had people um, straightening that problem out over the years. You know, that is to say, you know, some, a theme developer or a plugin developer like you comes along and and charges for the product, um, you know, dis- redistributes the GPL license, includes all the necessary documentation and so on, but charges for the product. How come we haven't seen that shift then, if that's the, the, the correct way of doing it? Um, is that just Personally, inertia or just people reacting? I think, I think a lot of it is inertia and reacting. Yeah. Um, personally, I think, personally, I think we're going to get there. Because if you look at, and, and, and I know you, you did discuss this um, in your original GPL uh, discussion, but if you look at the changes that folks like Pippin Williamson has made with the way they um, monetize their products, mm. and they've switched from this very, very cheap, in my opinion, extremely cheap price, and they I think they doubled it or tripled yeah, it. Yeah, really. I think it was maybe. doubled at least, yeah. Um, WooCommerce did the same thing. I... <laughs> I this is a, this is now my, my next statement, but in my opinion, plugin developers were charging for many many years. Were charging way too little again because of this concept of it being free software. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. if you can't see me right now, I'm doing the big air quotes. Um, <laughs> but because they they felt like they can't they can't charge for something that is free, they feel the need to go. Okay, well, if I bring it in at a very low price, then there's more chance that people are willing to buy, to buy, to buy it. Um, I look at, as an example, my, my wife and I run um, a business that is unrelated to WordPress and unrelated to development, and there's a piece of accounting software that, that we use. And the, the yearly license is definitely not cheap. It's not ridiculously expensive, but for a small business, it's quite a chunk of money. And my wife says to me every year, why am I paying for this? Because I don't get any support hardly and I, I, I don't often have a problem and there's you know maybe two updates a year. And my answer to her is yes, but what would you do without it? Mm. All the, This is our accounting package. So all your invoicing, 
all your processing, all of those kind of things. You would have to find another way to do it that may or may not be cheaper. Probably it would be some kind of monthly cost, might work out more expensive, or you'd have to do it yourself. So while I agree with her that, and, and this is just a separate issue, but there are problems with the way that that company handles support. And so I'm trying to convince her to move to another service. But even if she went to another service, there would still be a cost involved because mm -hmm. that company still needs to produce the few updates that do get produced or the few support requests that do happen. Um, and in my opinion, the original plugin and theme developers were charging too little. If they had, and, and we're starting to see this, this change, this shift in the industry, where the, the, the sort of leaders, if you will, of the plugin and theme space are going, no, 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 this is what we're going to charge. And if you can't afford it, then go and download it for free. Just don't expect, you know, updates and all that kind of stuff. But this is what our product is worth. And I have, I have followed, I, I got into WordPress after the WooCommerce shift, after the pricing change. So I didn't see it when it happened. Mm, um, me too. But I, but I read the blog and I read the comments. And if you read through that, that blog and those comments and you read through the blog on um, Pippin's website when, when they did it, I think it was last year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, last year, the year before. If you count up the amount of people who complain versus the amount of people who go, no problem, I appreciate what you do. Your work saves me so much time. So it's worth, I'm, it's still worth what I'm paying for you. From what I remember the last time I looked, those, those comments are way more than what I call the vocal minority who will probably complain about everything anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to, just going to change tack slightly. I'm going to read, I'm going to literally quote verbatim the bit that made me pause. Um, mm. This is, I stress, this is from the Wikipedia article. So, you know, that, that brings with it editorial control. So I don't know who wrote this exactly, but it says, the terms and conditions of the GPL must be made available to anyone receiving a copy of the work that the GPL that has a GPL applied to it. Any licensee who adheres to the terms and conditions is given permission to modify the work as well as to a copy uh, and redistribute the work or any derivative version. The licensee is allowed to charge a fee for this service or do or do this free of charge. The latter mm -hmm. point distinguishes GPL from software and licenses that prohibit commercial redistribution. The Free Software Foundation argues that free software should not replace should not place restrictions on commercial use, and the GPL explicitly states that GPL works may be sold at any price. There you there go. You that's, there you go. It's in the license. That's the bombshell. So this is this yeah. is called the this is the terms and conditions section of the Wikipedia article. And again, it's yep. not. So we've got to trust that whoever created that has been authentic with it. Um, yeah, absolutely fascinating. I, I genuinely thought it was the other way around, and I think my understanding of the whole whole thing was based on a misunderstanding of the word free. And I mm. I, I am genuinely surprised that somebody. Like you say, Pippin, WooCommerce, that more people haven't um, latched onto this and, and just said no. My fear is it's um, sorry. My my guess is it's fear of the market reacting and saying, "Well, mm. get we're not going to buy anything from you because mm. you're not you're not charging for support." Blah, blah, blah. You're actually you're actually charging for the product itself. But apparently, that's fine unless, of course, it's superseded by no. You can't supersede this, can you? No. Nope. You can't overwrite GPL with some other nope. license and say no. We're, you, add, we're adding on to it. That's that's not allowed. That's exactly that, and that is and that is one of that is one of the biggest reasons that that when people the term is detractors detractors of the GPL, that's one of the biggest reasons that they don't like the GPL 
because you can't take a GPL piece of software and then update the license right. to another slightly more restrictive license. Um, there was there was a situation recently, I can't remember the name of the company, but it was quite a big page, uh, page builder, website builder company, um, took some GPL code and then made some changes to it. Um, and here, here's the interesting thing is if we dig deeper into that story. So let's talk about the story first. They made some changes to their code. They included it in their product. And then they, here's the kicker. They released that product on the web, which would not have meant the GPL applies. But then they also released it as part of a downloadable app. And then it was. In other words, they distributed it. Yes. And the minute they made that distribution decision to be able to download the app to your phone, the GPL kicked in. Yeah. And and I think I stand corrected, but I think it was a piece of WordPress software that they that they it was I think the editor or something to do with the editor that WordPress had done some work on. I can't remember the details of it. But Matt then publicly called them out and he said, You have taken GPL code, you have you have you have benefited from the four freedoms of that GPL code by being able to inspect it, study it, do what you want with it, make some changes, and put it on your server. You've benefited. Now you are distributing it. And and I will admit that whole distributing it via an app thing is a little bit murky. Yes. Um, I wouldn't want to test that in a court of law because it's not it's not as if the people who are downloading the app can can inspect the code, but it is a form of distribution. Yep. And Matt then said, you are distributing this code. You have applied. I think they updated the license to the MIT license, which the GPL does not allow not them allowed, to do. Right. Yep. And all he said was, is please do the right thing. If you're gonna read, if you're gonna distribute it maintain the GPL. And at the end of the day, again, Matt applied the same principles that the Free Software Foundation did. He didn't go for litigation. He didn't try and sue them. He just used a bit of that social peer pressure. And Matt, being quite a big person in the WordPress and web space, has some, some clout behind him and said, please just do the right thing. And they then went and went back a step, got hold of, and here's where it gets really interesting. <laughs> so the piece of GPL code that they used was originally derived from another piece of code that had the MIT license. Now, the MIT license is very similar to GPL. There's just some slightly more um, interesting restrictions on you know, distribution and that kind of thing. Yep, but yep. the core four freedoms are still maintained. But you, so what you can, the GPL does allow you to say, take something with a different license, apply GPL to it. But the minute you apply GPL, then it needs to stay GPL going through. So what these, what this company did, and rightly so, and, and I respect them from doing it, they went back to the original piece of MIT license software, forked that, made the changes to that, and used that. And that was the end of the discussion. Job done. Job done. They followed the the, 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 the licensing correctly. They did the right thing. They, it took them a while to get to that point. And, and here's where it gets to, the, you know, should they have done it earlier? Should somebody have suggested them? That's where it kind of gets difficult and murky. And that's why I was saying, I think I mentioned this earlier, I can't remember if I mentioned it in the podcast or when we were chatting, but as a developer, my opinion is that when you download some code, not as a user, not a person who's going to install it in your operating system or on your web server or whatever, but as a developer who's going to take that code and study it and learn how it works, you know what the license is before you do it. Yeah. So it's your responsibility to either respect the license or if it doesn't suit your needs to find a different piece of code with a license that does. Do you know of a place where you can get like the DOM version of the GPL, which is explained in, you know, really succinct, clear, easy, although maybe not technically um, robust enough. Do you know of a place where we can download something that, that kind of explains it in layman's terms? So I don't know personally of any 
sites that have taken the GPL and really made it, as you say, easier for the layman mm. to read. Mm. Um, in my own experience, um, part of part of what I what I'm involved in. So I am a um, I'm part of the WordPress community team that uh, does vetting and orientations for new WordPress meetup groups. I'm also um, co-organizer of WordPress Cape Town meetup group, and I'm also this is now my second year running as lead organizer of WordCamp Cape Town. And in, in that process, anytime we have speakers or sponsors that want to get involved, we have to vet them for GPL compliance. So if right. you're distributing a plugin or a theme, it needs to be GPL compliant. So within the community uh, blogs, um, if you go to make.wordpress.org and click on community, there's some some documentation around um, being a um, what they call a community deputy and, and vetting and all that kind of thing. There is a section on the GPL compliance there, and I'm pretty sure that it links to another document um, which I'm sure I can get for you links that talks about the GPL and what is is and isn't in slightly more layman's terms. But Great. to be perfectly honest, as somebody who doesn't consider himself a legal expert, who is just a developer, literally just going to um, the the new operating system, which is which is the operating system that Richard Solomon developed, and reading the free software definition there. There's a very uh, interesting article. It's on um, I'll. I can send you the link. It's gnu.org slash philosophy slash free hyphen sw.en.html. Great. Um, there is a great article, and I'm, I'm as I'm talking to you, this article is in front of me, so I'm referring to things, where it talks about the free software definition, the four essential freedoms, um, the, the, the paragraph about free software does not mean non-commercial. So it talks about the four freedoms. It goes into them, and it is there are some, some terms that for the layman may be a little bit difficult, but it's mostly human readable, non-developer readable, and would give you a very good um, basic guideline and, and, and sort of structure about the GPL and how it works. Yeah, I think that would be a good place for anybody yes. at the end of this podcast, which I think probably we've, we've reached regrettably. Um, that would be a good place to start. Maybe if when we finish the call, I'll, I'll try to grab that link um, and put it in no the problem. show notes. Another thing which you pointed me to, which I'd never come across before, which is I think going to be something I'm going to read almost immediately, is uh, if you go to Milestone's book, .wordpress.com, although it's not related specifically to GPL. It, uh, it's the, the story of WordPress in a freely downloadable format. So I'm, I'm going to read that and see if, because when I've gone to the, the online section, there is a little bit, um, part two references, guiding principles, GPL, first developers yes. and so on. So maybe there's something of, of value in there. Thank um, you for pointing out the resource that I forgot to mention. No, that's good. <laughs> I, I got it on the screen immediately and thought, why have I never read this? <laughs> it looks really great. <laughs> and the interesting thing is, is that 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 book is is as I said to you earlier, that book is actually what got me into this this um, sort of investigation into the GPL because the book talks about why the original creator of what was then Cafe Log, which became WordPress, why he chose the GPL, and 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 literally what happened was somebody asked him. Um, what license are you releasing the software under? And he didn't have a license. And he just said, oh, well, how about you're allowed to use it, you're allowed to do what you want with it, you're allowed to inspect it, you're allowed to make your own modifications, you're allowed to release those modifications, just credit me as the original author. And essentially, that's the GPL. That's GPL, yeah. yeah <laughs> so right when it there. actually came to a point of him having to choose a license and he discovered the GPL, he went, well, that's perfect. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, perfect. What a nice little story to round it off. I am going to have to round it off there because we've probably reached the amount of time that we were allotted. Um, is there anything you would like to say, um, you know, give yourself uh, a little pat on the back or your Twitter handle or your Facebook page or whatever or your website? Do you want to go for that? So what I am going to say is that um, I'm going to I'm going to 
almost be controversial, but I am always open to discussion around these things. I'll admit that I'm not an expert on the legalities of this. Great. So if you have an opinion on this, please do comment either on this podcast. Um, you can find me on Twitter, John underscore Bossinger. Um, my website is jonathanbossinger.com, but preferably on this podcast because I will be hanging around. Um, and, and, let's, and let's open up the discussion because I don't think enough discussion is being had about specifically the GPL. Um, and then how it applies to what we do within WordPress. Yeah. And I think that the more we can have these kind of talks and the more we can openly discuss these things and the more we can educate not only developers but users of what the, why, why the GPL as a website owner, why the GPL doesn't matter to you, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. it's hosted and it's not distributed. Yep, yep, but yep. as a developer, why it does and those kind of things, the more we can get everybody on the same page and understanding all of these things we've discussed today, the better for everybody. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to round it off. Okay, so I should just point out that Jonathan is the regular spelling and Bossinger is B-O-S-S-E-N-G-E-R if you're going to Google him. Actually, if a simple Google of Jonathan Bossinger does actually bring up your website right at the top. I think I'm the only one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good, it's a good and unusual name. Perfect. So thank you so much for clarifying a lot of that stuff. Again, I would reiterate, Jonathan is now part of the WP Builds Facebook group. So if that's your default place for commenting on these things when this episode comes out, certainly get stuck into that because I'm sure we'll have differing opinions or like some clarity. And even if that means we've all got to go off and read some more, then this has probably been a worthwhile exercise. So thank you very much for coming on today. No problem. Thank you for having me. And today's ending term this time is 404 error. And we've been looking this up, haven't we, Nathan? So we've discovered that it's something, well, you knew this anyway, that can be generated by a server anyway. But these days, using WordPress, it actually comes from the web page itself. And it's there to let people know that they've typed in an incorrect URL or there's no page associated with that URL. Yeah. Yeah, I was. Look, it was interesting because obviously in the olden days when you created um, websites manually, it was a, a server error which would throw up basically saying, you know, this page doesn't exist. Here's an error, and it was always really ugly, um, just some sort of basic text and saying basically, you know, mm. clear off, go and find something else. Nowadays, things like WordPress handle it, and you can style those 404 error pages so that they look just like the other pages with navigation and so on. It's a little bit more mm. helpful. And, you know, we've all seen pages with search bars and things like that. Um, but, yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I, it led us to start looking around WordPress and trying mm. to find out how does, how does Google know mm. that this is a 404 error page? And I have, we looked for about a minute and gave up. So, Although we're talking about 404 error pages, if somebody with more technical chops than either of us can can explain what it is that WordPress outputs that Google latches onto, because all we could find when we searched for 404 in the source of a page was was things like body classes and things like that, which presumably isn't enough. Um, yeah. So maybe there's a bit more technical detail that we don't know about. But the idea with a 404 page is just to say we don't exist. Uh, mm. Go go look for something else. But then, of course, yeah. we get on to other things, which is fraught with fun, like 301 <laughs> redirects. So it's 404 for just error, nothing here. 301 is a is something, an error, an error which you can use to alert search engines. And I presume that's its primary purpose, to say to Google, this page used to exist, uh, but mm. now it's gone over here. So go looking for it there. And definitively, this is where it now lives. Mm. Absolutely. 
I think I'm going to use this as my opportunity to ask a question if anyone's still listening, because I use a little PHP snippet, which when I'm not redirecting all of the pages, I use it as a, a you know catch all. So anything that we haven't caught will get redirected. Anything that ends up going to 404 gets redirected to the home page. Mm. And I'm not sure if this is a good thing. It, it's great when a site goes live, it stops a lot of 404s happening because mm. they all end up on their home page. But is there a downside? Let me know. Yeah, I was wondering about that as well. You know, if it, if it's a 404, make it a 301, then yeah. presumably if you type in any junk that's a 404, it'll become a 301, which is then a canonical URL in Google search. I don't know. Uh, maybe mm. it's cleverer than that because obviously if they're all just linking to the home page is is google going to think that you've got 150,000 pages of exactly the same content which is in fact your home page it's probably cleverer than that isn't it um yeah. i just use ht access uh, with my apache server just rewrite things yeah. uh, use the redirect um instruction to to say what the original page was and, and where it goes and and in that way, you can do it on a line by line basis. Um, usually, the websites that I'm dealing with are, you know, a couple of dozen pages or thereabouts. I've I've, I've had websites before where it's a few thousand, and I um I just automated the process of of creating the HD access file. But it's not pretty. There's probably better ways to do it. No doubt, there's a plugin to do it with, but not something that I've really had to deal with. Okay, there yeah. we go. Four oh four three oh one. Shall we knock it on the head? Say goodbye for this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, in that case, um, in a moment we'll have the cheesy music, but uh, it remains only for me to say thanks for listening yet again. Please go share it all over the internet. Uh, iTunes five-star reviews are always very nice, and so is any other thing that you choose to do to share it. Thanks so much, and I will say goodbye from me, Nathan Wrigley. And it's goodbye for me, David Wormsley. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.